are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. This morning, I would like to offer one word as my title, predictable. You knew it. Predictable. Back in 1885, Sir Francis Galton wrote a paper called The Measurement of Fidget. He determined that people slouch and lean when bored. So a speaker can measure the boredom of an audience by seeing how far from vertically upright they are. See people moving a little bit. <laughs> How do you know when you're bored? Sharam Heshmet, an associate professor emeritus of health economics of addiction at the University of Illinois in Springfield, wrote in 2015 about boredom in a book called Addiction, a Behavioral Economic Perspective said, boredom is generally viewed as an unpleasant emotional state in which the individual feels a pervasive lack of interest in and difficulty concentrating on the current activity. Boredom is a universal experience. Almost everyone suffers from it in the course of their lives, and some surveys suggest that up to 90% of American adults experience boredom at some point during their daily lives. That only to be topped by young people who surveys say 98% of days they experience boredom. And the young people said amen. All right. Thank you, Ellie, for your honesty. Now, I don't know what this means, but the survey said men are generally more bored than women. It's because women are smarter and their brains work better, I think. All right, enough. Boredom is such a motivating force that people do all kinds of things to ease the pain. The chronically bored are at a higher risk for drug addiction, alcoholism, and compulsive gambling. They are also more likely to use their cell phones during preaching. I'm just saying, that's not your fault, that's my fault. i got to make my sermons a little more less boring. But here are some causes of boredom. Some individuals are more likely to be bored than others. People with a strong need for novelty, excitement, a variety are at risk of boredom. These sensation seekers like skydivers are likely to find that the world moves too slowly. The need for External stimulation may explain why extroverts tend to be particularly prone to boredom. Novelty seeking and risk taking is the way that these people self medicate to cure their boredom. And all the extroverts said, Amen. 
Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> but boredom is linked to problems with attention. What bores us never fully engages our attention. After all, it is hard to be interested in something when you can't concentrate on it, maybe like this sermon. But boredom is similar to mental fatigue and is caused by repetition and lack of interest in the details of the task in front. In general, too much of the same thing and too little stimulation can cause in its victim an absence of desire. Any experience, this doctor says, that is predictable and repetitive can become boring. And boredom, he says, can be viewed as a crisis of desire. Boredom can be viewed as a crisis of desire. Is anybody still with me? I have come to consider and preach to those who may have a crisis of desire with Christ. A crisis of desire not born out of opposition to God, not created from doubt, not led by confusion, but in a sense created by a boredom of faith. Many times I think we lack desire for the things of God because of the monotony of disciplines of faith. I would suppose that it's possible that a faith experience that is predictable and repetitive can be boring. While you may have moments of inspiration or you might have had a spiritual moment, that was out of the ordinary, there are some today who may lack zeal and passion for God that has its roots in the predictable nature of church and faith. We know this, that life can be unpredictable. This provides a level of excitement and alertness to us all. However, we also realize that if we were to live in this constant place of uncertainty, it creates a compounding weight of stress on us physically, emotionally, and mentally. Some people are more prone to struggle with the unpredictable than others. How many of you sat in the same seat as you did last week? Go ahead, raise your hand. You don't like the unpredictable. How many of you sat in the same section, the general area? How many sat near the same people? Because you just want to be close to the people you're comfortable with. Don't mess with me. There are some people in this church that are unpredictable, and you know who they are. And so you choose where you sit. But how easy it is to become bored with things when things remain the same. 
It is in this dichotomy of the human experience that I want to try to help us today. On one side, we are energized by a change of experience. But yet on the other side, we know we are able to function with efficiency when things are predictable. So how do we consider this when it concerns our faith? Every human body is fairly similar. We like to talk about the uniqueness of every individual, which is true and should be celebrated. However, it should not be lost that our ability medically to treat conditions in the body is because we are so similar. We have similar patterns of growth. We have similar patterns of development. The body is predictable. Of the over 35 million people who go to the hospital in the U.S. each year, 700,000 out of that 35 million die at the hospital. That's only 2%. My point is that the body is pretty predictable, and that's a good thing. Our medical profession, who does a great job helping us, they do this because they are able to help us because of the predictable nature of our bodies. The coronavirus has the world in a panic because of the nature of its unpredictability. We are creatures of habit. We are creatures of system. Science tells us that you are. Hear this now. Think about this. Brace yourself. Scientists tell us that we are 99.9% similar to the person sitting next to us. It is the rest of the 0.01%. Those genes tell us everything from our eye color to whether we're predisposed to certain diseases. I look at it as I am so close to being tall. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. I'm so, so close. Reminds me, I'm going to go real carnal. Wish I was taller. Wish I was a baller. Something. <laughs> we call it Mother Nature. Terms that invoke the feeling of unpredictability. We talk about the unpredictability of the weather. But really, nature is pretty predictable. You plant, you water, you get a crop. Lived almost 43 years, and I've yet to wake up on a morning that the sun did not come up on the east side. Amazingly, Farmer's Almanac predicts what time the sun is rising two years from now. Since I've been a kid, as long as I can remember, spring has always followed winter in Ohio. There's differences, but it's the same pattern over and over and over again. Jesus said, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, 
A shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather. And there is. He said, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the water. But how is it you do not discern this time? Weather's predictable. What makes franchise companies and global companies great? It is that they are able to produce the same experience, the same product, or the same food over and over again. A few years ago, Chick-fil-A in Springdale invited the Calvary Academy to eat for free for Teacher Appreciation Week, and they took us on a tour of the facility and what they called the backstage tour. They showed us how they cut up the fresh produce every day, squeezed the lemons, and they showed us the, the chicken preparation, and they, they told us about their secret recipe for their chicken, which is in a vault somewhere in Atlanta. But what really makes us like to go to Chick-fil-A, for those who like that, is that no matter when you go or to which one you go, you're going to get the same experience and you're going to get the same food that tastes so good. We see the value of this repetition in other things, manufacturing and all kinds of other elements of society. And herein lies the significant truth that I want to make sure we understand today. We may get bored with church because it's predictable. We may get frustrated with feeling like we're trapped by the routine of certain disciplines. But I want you to know today that God is in no way bored with your spiritual disciplines. You may think God only notices those who are doing crazy things for Christ. However, I want to assure you today that God is just as much interested in your consistent, predictable, faithful walk with God as he is about some erratic, zealous move towards God. Think about creation. God created the world in seven days. Then he puts it on autopilot. It's been going that way evening and morning for a long time. In the work of the tabernacle, we find God's attention to repetition. The priests who served the Lord worked hard. Every day or every year, they would sacrifice for the sin of the people. If you've ever been around livestock, you know that a young Bull doesn't always like to be led. When I served at a church in San Diego, California, we had an Easter drama, and it was one of those massive set, two-story Easter dramas, and, and Jesus ascended out of the building, and there were live animals and all that kind of stuff, and I was tasked with finding the animals and, and securing them, since I'm more of the farmer type. I guess in California I was. I was from Ohio. You, go find the animals. So I did, found some sheep and some, uh, a horse and uh, a baby calf from a local farm, loaded it up on a truck and brought it to the church. And as we're walking the, the baby calf into the foyer of the church, all of a sudden it just lays down, just lays down. And does not get up for two hours. It lays on the floor. And I imagine, and I know bulls are a little bit worse than that, but imagine the priest who just year after year doing the same task, the same work over 
and over. And there was probably always that one guy who came bringing his bull. And the, the priest, they meet and he goes, you know, sorry, priest, another bad, bad year. Apologize about there. Next year, I'm, I'm going to bring a dove. It won't be as hard on you next year. I'll bring a dove. And next year, here he is, dragging the bull, bringing it along. Just the, the same routine over and over and over again. Now, find a, a passage of Scripture in Numbers. Isn't that the boring book of the Bible? And it's 78 verses that I want to consider. In the book of Numbers. We'll start with verse 10. You're serious, right? Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. For the Lord said to Moses, they shall offer their offering one liter each day for the dedication of the altar. And the one who offered his offering on the first day was that guy from the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering. One kid of the goats as a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of that guy. Verse 18. On the second day... This guy, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. For his offering, he offered one silver platter, the weight of which was 130 shekels, and one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, and one male lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, and as of the sacrifices of peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five male lambs in their first year. This was the offering of this guy. Verse 24. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, Hebrew of Zebulun, presented an offering. Verse 30. On the fourth day, this guy. Verse 36, on the fifth day. 42, on the sixth day. 48, on the seventh day. 54, on the eighth day. 60, on the ninth day. 66, on the tenth day. 72, on the eleventh day. 78 on the 12th day. 12 days of the same thing over and over and over again. But here's the truth. God was delighted. This is just one example of many 
to illustrate my point today. God doesn't get tired of the same. We get tired of the same. We think there's always something better somewhere else. We peer in the windows of other people's lives, other people's beliefs, other places, and look at our own and wonder, is this really all there is? I I must be missing something. Look at where they're at. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they believe. Look at what how they live. But I, I want to remind somebody today, God isn't bored with what's going on here at 11970 Ken Road. Even though it seems a little bit like last Sunday, and it seems like a little bit like the Sunday before, God is not bored with your worship. God is not bored with showing up here every week. Because the truth is, God doesn't get bored. And can I tell you, he's not bored with with your address. He's not bored with what's going on in your world. He's not looking around at everybody else's world to find something that excites him. No, he's as excited about you being here as he is about anything else in the world. Because the truth is, God doesn't get bored. You know, we... We think God only notices when we get these brilliant ideas and have these amazing epiphanies, and God is somehow impressed with what we think about. But Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. You're not going to surprise God. You're actually pretty predictable. Nothing you come up with is going to shock God. And I would submit today that our reward in heaven is not because we did something new or unique or unheard of. But Matthew 25 said, so he who has received five talents came and brought them to me saying, Lord, you delivered me these five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And the Lord said to him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Let me simply remind you today that God is not tired of your consistency. God is not tired of your simple faithfulness to the things of God. It was Eve who thought what God offered was not enough and reached for something more and look where it got or look where it got Samson when he thought that there was something else that he he should do. And here's what I want to help somebody understand today. I know sometimes your walk of faith feels like it's the same thing over and over again. It's Groundhog Day again. It's deja vu all over again. But I want to remind you today that the principles of God work day after day after day and God's not tired of it. Can I tell you today that reading your Bible still works? I'd love to tell you there's something better or something fancier, but it just works. It may seem like a boring task at times, but it's that commonplace thing that we, that causes us to grow in our faith. I can't remember every meal I've eaten, but I'm glad I've eaten them. Every day, reading your Bible is important. 
Giving your tithe and offering is still marvelous every time you do it in the eyes of God. Even when it's every week, even when it's an automatic payment, it's in the eyes of God a marvelous thing. And can I remind us today that God still loves to hear our prayers. It may seem like, what's the point? It it, it doesn't really matter. But I tell you today that your prayers matter to him. That's why the writer of James would say, is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The consistent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Uh, That's why he would say Elijah was a man with a nature like his ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain. And he prayed again. Everyone say prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And I want to encourage some parents and some families in here not to stop praying for your children. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. Keep praying for your husband. Keep praying for your wife and your brother and your sister and your friend and your co-worker. Sunday morning pre-service prayer. Can I tell the church today, God's not bored with our pre-service prayer. You may not think it's a big deal, and you may find a lot of reasons not to attend it, but I'm telling you, God shows up, and he's happy when we gather to pray. And tonight, when we gather to pray in this place, it's not just some routine that God's just going, oh, here they go again. No, let me tell you, God's leaning over heaven going, here they go again. Let's go. God is interested in our prayers. On November 9th, 1989... Some of you might remember that date, November 9th, 1989, the Berlin Wall separating East Germany from West Germany came crumbling down. The wall served as both a physical and ideological divide between East Germany and West Germany. It was built in 1961 and would remain until that fateful November day in 1989. Most Americans recall President Reagan's words in June of 1987 to tear down this wall. But what is less known and remembered is that the real catalyst for the movement of people that would cause the wall to fall happened on Monday, October 9th of 1989. A protest swelled in the city of Leipzig, Germany, that is considered the turning point point for the wall to come down. It was on that Monday a protest erupted. And it was so large and so impacting that it set this world event in motion. But this Monday protest was not a random event. And it was not even a random Monday. It happened on a Monday because it happened on a Monday for the previous seven years. In 1982, 
a pastor named Christian Fuhrer, started a prayer meeting in St. Nicholas's Church in Leipzig on Monday evenings. Every Monday, they would show up and pray for peace. Every Monday, they would gather and pray for peace. It would be just about 10 of them or 12 of them that would show up and they would just pray every Monday. Here we are, just another Monday praying for peace. And here we are, just another Monday praying for peace. There's only six of us here, but we're going to keep praying for peace. And so on Monday, October 9th, 1989, Seven years after that prayer meeting started, on a Monday, 70,000 people gathered to demand change. And it would be the tipping point, and a month later, the wall would fall flat. I don't know what you consider ordinary or predictable, but I'm telling you, God does not get tired of your prayers. He isn't bored when you cry out to him. He isn't bored when you show up and pray to him. And not only our prayers, but can I tell you, when you came in this place today, your praise got his attention. Your hallelujah got his attention. Even though we sang it over and over and over again, can I tell you, he didn't get bored with it. Every time you said hallelujah, he leaned in a little closer. Revelation would tell us that they would not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Our praise might seem monotonous. Our praise uh, might seem ordinary and mundane, but I'm telling you, God hears. Your righteous living still brings glory to God. Week after week, it might seem like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this every week? It seems like there could be some other things that I could do that would be a little bit edgier, that could get a little bit more attention, but I'm telling you that God is not bored with your life of righteousness. Your faithfulness to the things of God, your faithfulness to church is one of the greatest ways you'll ever feed your soul. And God doesn't get tired of seeing you every Sunday and Wednesday. You honor him with your time and you honor him with your energy. And there's great value in repetition. And I challenge some of you today to stop letting everything else take the priority over church. And make some other things take a back seat to the time consecrated for God. Because God isn't bored with you showing up every Sunday. And God's not bored with you showing up every Wednesday. Now, you might get bored, but God's not bored with it. And your witness to Christ may seem foolish at times and redundant. But God is not blind or disinterested in every invitation you make, every time you testify, every attempt you make to connect people to Christ. I was reminded this past weekend when I went to my home church in Canton, Ohio. 
My dad was telling the story there. Every week we would go, he would go, I should say, in a very depressed part of the city of Canton. Every week he would go and he would pick up adults and children. Anyone who would come, he would just drive into that area and pick them up. Anyone who would come and we would pile them into this little 1978 Ford Fiesta. Anybody ever had one of those? He says he doesn't know how. And thank God the laws were different. But one time, they piled 14 people in a Ford Fiesta to take them to church. Usually, I was crammed in that back section up against the window. Piled in. Week after week, month after month. Doesn't, what's the fruit of this? What's the point of this? But there was one little girl that got picked up every week on that little car. And it, it, she came from a pretty difficult situation. No father in the picture. Her mom was a, a prostitute and a cocaine addict. Didn't seem like much. And I'm sure there were days when it would seem better to just not pick them up, to not go there. But we just kept picking them up and did to, to God's glory, today, that little girl is the pastor's wife of the church in Canton. Three beautiful kids, married to my best friend. No drugs, no addiction. What was it? Just being faithful, just showing up, just saying, you know what? It might seem like a waste of time to other people, but it's just the faithfulness of God. It's being predictable. Can I tell you today, there's a reward found in faithfulness. There's a reward that's just found in faithfulness. And let me tell you, as I come to a close, here is why God is not bored with your consistency and your faithfulness. While it might seem like serving God is boring and God could be bored with us, it is God's own predictability. That ensures our deliverance and salvation. It's God's own predictability that ensures our deliverance and salvation. See, God said, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, because I don't change, because I don't change, you are not consumed. Let me tell you why you can change. Because God doesn't change. Let me tell you why you can have your life transformed. Because God is a God that doesn't change. God is predictable. God is predictable. Let me tell you, you can count on God to be long-suffering. You can count on God to be merciful. You can count on God to be gracious and kind and faithful, and his word is true. See, we live in a subject-to-change culture, don't we? We sign documents. We sign up for things with a little line at the very bottom, subject-to-change without notice. Menus, events, hours of operation policies. And I would add that our culture is subject to change without notice. Definitions changing. Everything seems to be subject to change. Everyone seems to be subject to change. But God, God said, 
God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. God said, I am not subject to change. Psalm chapter 33, 11 says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. You can still count on God's counsel and God's wisdom to get you through your circumstance. No matter what changes around you, no matter what seems to be fluid around you, God is a God that doesn't change. And you can count on his love. You can count on his grace. Every time you change your mind on God, God said, I'm not changing. And that's the hope that we have. Every time we walk away from God, God stays right where he is, just in case you change. Oh, hallelujah. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. I can hang around a lot of people that try to move things and change things and do things, but I've made a resolution that I'm not going to allow people, circumstance, culture to cause me to change what God hasn't said change. Because Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. I'm going to stand on his word. If it costs me relationships, I'll stand. If it costs me freedom, I'll stand. James said, every good work and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And here's what I want us to understand today. We are all the beneficiaries of God's predictability. And we should be so thankful that God doesn't get bored with our routine and our repetition of worship. Because God doesn't get tired of saving you from the uttermost. God isn't bored when somebody repents. In fact, he tells us that all of heaven actually throws a party. How many people do you think have repented since Christ came? How many people have repented of their sins and heaven threw a party like it was the first time? I'm thankful for the predictability of Christ. That no matter what you have done, no matter where you find yourself, there's a God who says, I'm standing here. I'm predictable. I love you. You've been in relationships that have been pretty unpredictable. You didn't know who you were walking into. You didn't know who was walking in the door. But God, God said, I'm predictable. I'll love you every time. I'll reach for you every time. I'll forgive you every 
time. Oh, hallelujah. You can stand with me this morning. Lamentations 3.21 says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now here's what he says. They are new. Every. You can count on it. Every morning, just like the manna fell for the children of Israel, just like the sun comes up on, in the east, every morning, God's love is predictable. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Before I invite you to an altar, an altar you've come to probably many times. An altar that seems routine. Before I invite you, I want to pray for you. Reminded of a guy by the name of Larry Carter. Some of you knew him. He's been to our church years ago. He grew up, his dad was a minister. His dad left his mom, walked away from God, and then he walked away from God, started playing guitars in the bars and living in a cheap motel. But he made this statement, I left the church for 10 years, and as I was making my way back to God, I hope the church hadn't changed. Today, I... I know we're going to come to the altar like we have for years, probably since its beginnings. 1968, people have been stepping out of their pew, coming to the altar, turning their life to Christ. It's predictable. Next week, it'll be the same thing. Week after that, it's going to be the same thing. Every week, every week. We come into this place. And we come to this altar. My hope is that you never get bored. We struggle with it because it's repetitive. But God's not bored with it. God's not disinterested in it because you did it last week. Some of you feel like you're saying the same prayers over and over. Well, they did every day. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. God hears your prayer, even if you've prayed it a thousand times. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, right now in this place, I pray, God, for those who maybe are facing a crisis of faith, a crisis of faith not born out of rebellion, a crisis of faith not necessarily born out of opposition to your word. But, Lord, their faith has become routine in their minds. It has become mundane. God, and I'm praying today that something would come alive in them. That you, God, are not discouraged. You are not 
in any way pushed back against, Lord, the routineness of our prayers or the routineness of our behavior or the seemingly commonness of our spiritual disciplines. But Lord, those things are in fact the the way in which we experience your greatest power and your greatest love in our life. Yes, we want amazing and new experiences with you. But I pray somebody would pray today and somebody would settle in their heart that they're just gonna make serving for you what they do. They're going to make serving for you the priority of their life. It's going to have priority in their time, in their energy, in their resources, in their money. Everything, God, I pray that they would prioritize you. Because, God, we are so thankful that you, every day, provide mercy and grace. Every day we wake up, God, and we may have changed. We may, God, have changed our minds about certain things but Lord you came to that morning with the same thing to offer you offer grace you offer mercy you offer love you offer forgiveness you offer hope Lord you offer peace that passes understanding and God we thank you today so I want to invite you to step out of your pew today like you've done a many times before and if you've never done it I, I encourage you to start a new habit step out of your pew And say, God, I surrender my heart to you. I surrender my life to you. God, you are a predictable God. A God who is faithful. A God who is true to your word. Oh, God, we love you today. I encourage you to repent of your sins if you haven't done that today. To repent of your sins. Maybe make a decision to be baptized in his name. Be filled with his spirit. Lord, you're great to us, Lord. You're great to us, Lord. You're great to us, Lord, because you're faithful. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our hearts to you one more time. One more time. We make a commitment to you one more time, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.